As we mentioned this past Sunday, for the month of January, uh, we take a pause from our Book of Mark series before we get back to it, and each pastor has been laying out what God has impressed upon their heart for them personally as well as for the church. So today, I want to do the same for our body as well. And this is something that we all do. It's not something whether you do it or not. It's something that we all do, whether you do it well or you do it very poorly. I want to talk about rest today. Now, you might say, rest? That's very antithetical New Year's message, Jen. Like, New Year's, like, let's do it. Let's get it done. I mean, New Year's is just about the only time when you go to local gyms. It's jam-packed with the New Year's resolution people. They're like, yeah, let's time to get it done. But you bring rest? I mean, come on, Jen. We got to get it done. Well, I understand that. But did you know, like, I heard one statistic saying 97% of all New Year's resolution fails. So if you're out of that group, well, all the best. Hopefully you'll be the, the 3% who makes it. Um, not only that, but actually we, the reason really I thought about it is we live in the world of productivity. We are measured by how much we produce. We are measured by our outcome. And almost our identity is found upon our productivity. And it's like, Man, constantly am I being measured by how much I can produce. That's a very tiring thing. And it causes us restless work 24-7 without really experiencing the deep gospel sabbatical rest that God provides for us. Many of you know Corey Ten Boom, the author of Hiding Place, who lived in the times of the World War II. And she said, if devils can make us to sin, he will make us busy. He will cause all the restless work and deeds to get us off track. And during my break, a friend of mine mentioned about this article written in New York Times that said, titled as, Happy Low-Key New Year. And in that article, the author quotes a viral TikTok video that went viral. Within two days, it gained 1.8 million. I don't know how many millions of you it got just now. But in the video, there's a lady who works in social service, the human resource, and she just comes out and says these words, I quote in the video, I think we need to set some expectations. I don't need 2023 to be my year. I need it not to be a soul-sucking drag through earthly purgatory. I need 2023 to come in, sit down, shut up, and don't touch anything, she added. <laughs> I need a palate cleanser ear, a sensory deprivation ear. Man, what a rant. <laughs> you might say, but apparently it struck a chord in so many people that it gained so many popularity that many people watched the short clip. Also, it was mentioned in New York Times article. Perhaps you feel that way. A lot of people commented, oh, I feel this in my soul. Some share the trauma they went through in this past year, whether they lost loved one or couldn't pay their bills. Well, this seems like antithetical, but also reality for many of us as well. And parents, <laughs> this is for you. I once saw this Twitter post on Twitter as well. Perhaps you, you've heard of this perhaps before. 
Being a parent, being a mom is like a jumping out of airplane with parachutes, but you're so busy flying around opening other people's parachute, you don't get to open up yours, you hit the ground, but you don't die, you get up and cook dinner. <laughs> uh, perhaps that's my sister Joy feels it today. <laughs> uh, some of you really need a palate cleansing year. Some of you feel like, oh man, where is the rest of heart, body, soul, and mind that I crave for us? So yeah, 23, yes, let's go get them. But I do pray that as you take the next half an hour or so, we experience and we cultivate the practice of rest in the presence of God. Because in the presence of Him, we can find rest for our souls. Now, how we are going to go about doing this, I want to lay out kind of three things. First, I want to talk about its state. How does it look like to see your body, soul, and mind, heart, at truly rest? We want to do that. And after that, church, let's have kind of examination time. As a church, how are we doing? Are you really at rest? I want to kind of press in for that for all of us who are caught up in the productivity. And lastly, in the end, I want to give you some practical tips about how to go about accomplishing, not that's really antithetical to rest, how to go about really experiencing the rest that God promised for us. So it's state, examination, and practice. And I want to do that. I want to examine this three things by delving into one of the most familiar psalms in the entire Bible. If not, I actually think the most familiar psalm, which Pastor Bill quoted for us, Psalm 23. This this is such a powerful poem uh, that is written, that has been recited throughout the history. It's so powerful, and some of you, this is your favorite psalms. So you're like, I know it. Some of you can't even quote entire psalm without looking up the word. But I ask you to open up the word or cell phone, whatever you take. Go to Psalm 23 as I walk through each verse, which shows our God as the shepherd and the host, and through this psalm, may we truly experience and learn about gospel rest that our hearts crave for. So let's go first. Each state, how does it look like to see body, soul, and mind, its heart at rest? Verse 1, I'll dive in. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Here, the metaphor of a shepherd is a rich one in ancient Israel. In that agricultural society, everyone knew about the ways of sheep and the roles of shepherd. Because of very natures of rain, it was the job of a shepherd to lead the flock to find the pastures so that these sheep can be provided of their nutrition. And since also the, this pasture is very wide open country, it was shepherd's job to protect their flock from the wild predators. In fact, actually, I got to witness that firsthand a few months ago when I was in Kenya. There's this group of indigenous, one of the native tribe, Maasai. They travel where their flocks go. And they go along where the flocks go, lead them with a staff or rod, whatever thing, spears they carry. And they even go where the lions are. I saw that in my first ten. There's in the natural reserve, there are Maasai people. I'm like, aren't they afraid of lion? No, they go to, in order for their flock. They provide and protect for their plan, their, their flock. And when you look at this verse 1, perhaps you have memorized that in many different translations. Some translation, like us that we read here in NIV, translates, I lack nothing. 
Some other translation translates as, I shall not want, or says, I have everything I need. And no matter what the translations are, in the essential of it is that we have a shepherd who provide and protect on our behalf. And when you carefully examine what the psalmist is saying in the context, more than it's talking about our adequacy of finding contentment, it is talking more than our adequacy, it's talking about his sufficiency. Because we have a shepherd who lead us, guide us, we can find the rest in our soul. Because he is our shepherd, we experience this deep rest. Now, how can David, the psalmist, say that? Keep going, verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. He makes me lie down. The idea is that shepherds find the green pastures, pastures where sheep can lie down and rest. It's the job of the shepherd to lead them and gently exhort them to lie down. And green pasture is a place where they get their nutrition for their body. Good place of abundance where they can, sheep can be at rest. And when he says that he also leads me beside the quiet waters, the same Hebrew word that's translated as quiet waters can be translated as waters of rest. It is the job of the shepherd to lead the sheep to the waters of rest. And this water is interesting because this water is neither like a water that's rapid flowing, raising current, nor stagnant water that becomes rotten. Why is that neither of that? But it's a gentle flowing brookish. If it's raising, flowing water, sheep can be very jittery, so they don't drink it. They are restless. They don't drink from that water. But if it's a stagnant, you, do you know who you find when you go to places like that? You don't find a sheep in a stagnant water. You only find a hyena. Sheep does not drink from the stagnant and rotten water, but it is the job of a shepherd to lead their sheep in a quiet, gentle, flowing waters where they get the source of life, yet also they find a deep rest of our souls. And God tells us today, he leads us beside these waters of rest, and he tells us to drink deeply. Drink deeply and get refreshes, get refreshed. He refreshes my soul, verse 3. Is that the state of your body and mind today, church? He leads us and makes us to lie down. He causes us to drink from these gentle flowing waters of rest. Drink deeply and find refreshment in my presence. Is that you? Is that I today? Or are we like this human resource worker at the beginning who said this is earthly purgatory? Now, so are we at rest? That's what I want to ask. So first, we saw the state of how the rested heart and soul and mind looks like. Let's examine how we are doing really. Now, so church, let me ask you that. I mean, don't answer out loud, but are you at rest today? I'm not just asking theologically or confessionally. You might say, oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. He protects and he provides, so I should be at rest. That, there's heaven and earth difference between I should be at rest than I am resting in his presence. I am asking you functionally, operationally, how are you today? Is there any restless in your mind, in your body? It's so interconnected in our lives. 
rest, we crave for it since the departure from the Garden of Eden, where we had all we needed, where we ventured our own, we have been craving for the deep rest, and we are often restless. Do you need that therapy at church? How are you? How are you, moms and dad? How are you, workers who work endless hours, constantly feeling like you need to kind of prove yourself? Some of you might push back here a little bit, but Jim, come on, man. I mean, look at uh, this sheep. He has everything he needs. Oh, he looks like shepherds leading them to green pastures beside quiet water. Circumstances are wonderful. If it went all jar well, and sure, I'm at rest. But this, I mean, but this is for the psalmist only. With things are well, that's why he can find rest. But I'm, you don't know my circumstance, Jen, so you can't quite say that to me. Well, challenge accepted. It's not just circumstantial because, look just a few verses further. Yes, that's right, in verse 23, this sheep has everything he needs. But look at what the David says in 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me, even in the presence of my enemies. Here, psalmist envisions the times of utmost stress and distress. But rest of the verse 4 and verse 5 makes it very clear that even in the midst of all his troubles, his source of rest does not come from circumstance, but his source of rest comes from his confidence in the one who provides and who protects. Get that? Even in the moment when walk through the darkest valley, the David is saying, I shall find rest. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, so our rest isn't necessarily from the circumstance, but from the one who is able to give us that rest, protection, and our needs. I mentioned earlier about these Maasai people. Might as well. Let me press in a little further. The last few days, I know I've been to Kenya in October. I've been milking that story all years long. I got even more to come here. Last few days in Kenya, we spent a couple of nights in Safari, the natural reserve. Also, after we spent the day, we are going to our place, hotel to rest. But our hotel was a little different because it was made on a concrete floor, but they laid a tent on that natural, like right near the natural reserve. And as you're going to our place to rest, a big campground, and every time I, we go to our tent, this Maasai people, one of them will guard us with the spears and walk us to our tent. And so we, they are guarding us. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I felt protected by these Maasai people. And all of a sudden, this one Maasai people was guarding me, asking me, hey, what number of tent you are in? So I looked at him like, oh, number eight. And he said, oh, number eight. And I'm like, okay, what's, what's unique about my tent? And I said, oh, well, let me walk with you all the way to the tent. They usually like, lead you near the door and let you go by yourself. But they're like, Okay, well, thank you for leading me all the way to my tent door. That's great, but why? I asked him, well, six days ago, three lions passed by your tent. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. <laughs> I lack nothing. I lack all the confidence right now. I'm like, oh, really? Am I going to make it alive? I open my zipper, my tent, I go in, and they say, when you're resting at night, make sure to close down the zipper and lock it with a lock. I'm thinking, well, if a lion comes... <laughs> doesn't matter whether I lock it or they can pierce through the tent, and I cannot run out, and I'm going to die, so I'm not going to put it in a lock. I just zippered it down, and I'm like, am I going to be making it tomorrow morning? 
no lines, please. But, I mean, uh, this is hotel, been around the business for a long time, and I'm sure nobody died in that camp, I don't know. Hopefully I'm not the first one. And there are moths I was guarding me. I was able to, well, yes, I was tired, but I was able to rest. Why? Is that because I believed in my ability to outrun the line if they come? No way. I'd be relying on the sausage in a moment if they come. But the reason why I was able to rest was not because of circumstances, but I trusted in the one who was able to protect me in case they come. These Maasai people are fierce. They even used to call tech lions as a rite of passage when they become an adult. So they guarded me all night in my tent. So I sh my heart was not finding rest because of my ability, but because the one who was able to provide and protect for me. Um, nonetheless, I got up in the morning. I'm like, thank God I'm alive. I opened up the tent to go to breakfast, and I zip, zippered up. I was like, no lion, thanks be to God. Great. But I saw actually like 15 baboons like 20 feet away from him. I'm like, never mind, I'm closing down. <laughs> We're going back in. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I waited a few minutes until baboons passed, and then I went to my breakfast. See, the rest does not necessarily come from my ability, my adequacy, but because I trust in the one who is able to protect me, I was able to find rest. Now, so are you saying you're at rest just because you're enjoying your circumstances? When life falls apart, even when you're walking through the darkest valley, can you say before the Lord, I fear no evil, for you are with me. It is well with my soul. Can you say that really? The Horatio Spafford said, when everything was at loss, it is well the author of it. Now, so I want you to think about that. Number two, examination. So can you find rest by just seeking for rest? Meaning the night that I cannot sleep the most is the night that I feel like I have to sleep. I have to get up at 5 a.m. I have to sleep, I have to sleep, I have to sleep. That's the time that I'm constantly up, paranoid by seeking rest. Rest is also a byproduct. When you look at Matthew 11, here as well, but Matthew 11, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Here, Jesus doesn't say, come to rest, and the rest will, give, rest will be given to you. But he says, come to me, all you are burdened and weary. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Because the psalmist in the presence of God he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. So, church, one of my favorite verses in the Psalter is also, God grants sleep to those whom he loves. It is God who grants rest to our soul. So how now, having said all that, we got to talk about what does the heart, soul, and mind look like to be at rest, body, soul, and mind, and examination, how are we? It's neither circumstantial rest nor it is just as directly you can find it by just seeking for rest. It's a byproduct. Now let's talk about practical point, how we can actually apply that in practice. One of the principles that I want you to remember as you're seeking for rest, you can separate, you cannot separate a physical rest, a spiritual rest, and emotional rest. If you're a mathematician, you know what a Venn diagram is like. You know all of you, if you take any math class, there's always overlap. For example, when your mind is absolutely restless, you can't really sleep at night. When you're all on the other side, when your body is going through deep suffering, it will affect your spiritual life and emotional life. It's very difficult. 
Wise people know the connectivity of all life, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And when I, so when I speak to those group of people who are so driven, so ambitious, I tell them, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm so spiritual. I can hack sleep. I don't need it. I can go seven days a week nonstop. And I look them in the eyes. No. I was like, I don't know. I'm not doing well. I'm working so hard. No, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is not working hard. But take a nap. Take a nap for the glory of God this afternoon. Just rest for your body. It's sometimes all you need. So let's examine this. So I want to give you a few practical tips today. Practical tips number one. Remember the God-ordained rhythm of life. How do you rest well? Remember the God-ordained rhythm of life. When you look at Genesis 1, that's the creation of coming. God creates heaven and earth and all things. God creates light, heaven, sea creatures, all the shebang. And every day, like, he creates something great, and he says, it was good, it was just good. And it only gets better. Day 6, he creates mankind, says, and it was very good. In my mind, okay, good, very good, good. You're improving, do more. Day 7, you can do even more, God. No. What does God do? If he keep going, maybe it was good, it was very good. Now it's the greatest. It's the goat, greatest of all time. But after day six, does God need our rest? No. He can keep going. He's God. He's an all-powerful God can just keep going. But he ordains the rhythm of life by taking, it was very good, and he takes full stop, and he rested. Now, I don't want us to be too legalistic saying that you have to take one full day, 24 hours. Take 24 hours, do nothing about it. That's not what I'm saying. But God instituted himself what rest is all about from the creation account. There is no shortcut in that. Remember, God is the one who himself ordained the rest for the mankind. Discipline for that. Exercise that. Don't think you can hack that. If you're in any prolonged season of life where you cannot get much rest, set a time. After three months of this brutal month, I'm going to take time to really intentionally rest. You need that, and I need that. God himself rested. Remember, it is God who ordained the intentional, the ordained the rhythm of life. Second thing I want you to remember, take time for intentional inactivity. Uh, this is another very antithetical point because what do we associate the word intentional with? Be intentional about it. Often what people mean is that do more. <laughs> but I'm saying be intentionally, be very intentional about your inactivity. Take time for intentional we inactivity. What I mean by that is cultivate a discipline of pause. It is okay to rest. Stand against the tyranny of grit. We live in a society where it's like, do it, do it, do it, do it until you make it and then do it again. No. Stand against that. Cultivate a discipline of pause. We don't know what that means in our society because we are often measured by our productivity, how much we produce. Often we even find our identity through that. But cultivate a discipline of pause and full stop. We are allergic to that as a society. We say this mail thing, is physical mail thing is too slow, snail mail. Uh, we need to make a quicker email. We need to make a quicker text message. We are allergic to that. We scroll our phone. There's three seconds delay. We see the bar, but page is not loading. I'm getting frustrated. Cultivate a discipline of pause. It is okay to rest. You are not a, 
was slave to a productivity. It's okay to have a lazy day. Don't you, don't, isn't there sometimes a sense of guilt when you have a lazy day? I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something. Sometimes you don't even know you need rest until you intentionally rest. Until you take time for intentional inactivity, you only a few weeks later you look back, man, that was just a crazy season I've been through. I don't even know how much I needed it. You don't even know your need of it sometimes. So take time for intentional inactivity. Remember the God-ordained rhythm of life. Take time for intentional inactivity. Third, know who you are. Really, I mean that. Now, I'm about to say cliche stuff, but I'll dive into a little deeper in a moment. Extrovert, introvert. <laughs> I have a friend who works in TS, top security, top secret setting in government. So when he goes into work, he has to turn himself on and everything goes into isolation environment, complete silence all day. So when he comes out, he has to talk and hang out with people. Great, do it. Find people to hang out. That's who you are. On the other side, on the other side, some of you, uh, sometimes you are so constantly surrounded by people 24-7. Yes, I'll dare to include the family. Of course you love your family, but it takes a lot out of you too. Your family may not be your Sabbath rest. It's okay. I'm not saying you have to go all like two days a week away or one day, whether it's three hours, four, eight, four hours. If it's you who need to be away from people to find rest, do it. That's not a selfish thing. That's actually a very godly thing. You are not a superman. I'm not that. You need that charge, whether you're extrovert, introvert, your rhythm, you know. And then, let me give you three practical tips that is not mine, how to know who you are. Some of you might need contemplative rest. Some of you might need a recreational rest. Some of you might need aesthetic rest. Know who you are and cultivate for that. I tend to be more contemplative rest guy. When I say contemplative rest, some of you are wired. The way you get recharged is you need a kind of solitude. You kind of need kind of silence. You kind of need to journal yourself. And if you are in those people, yes, take time to be alone. Do that. It's not a selfish thing. Any warning, if there's any warning for you, if you're a contemplative rest like me, you cannot force quality time without quantity time. And don't feel guilty about in need of quantity time. Sometimes the quality time, the deep solitude, the rest for your soul comes in the quantity. Because if you're in the con contemplative rest, folks, you tend to need a lot of time. And we are like, oh, man, but I have to get out. I have so much to do. It's okay to take time. And don't feel guilty about it. Go, whether it's a place of isolation, whether it's the basement, whether it's somewhere, try to find a place to journal. Dine with the Lord. Read and pray. Some of you are recreational rest people. Let the party begin. May the Lord bless you for that. Go at it. Some of you, let's gather everybody. Here is the party. That's what recharges me. Do it. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't be ashamed for how God has wired you. You are the boisterous life of a party. Bring people together who will celebrate with you. Sometimes we feel guilty. We feel like, oh, I'm looked down because I'm in need of people. No, that's wonderful personality and temperament God has given you. Bring the party along. Enjoy that. Uh, yeah, party it away. If there's any warning for those, any recreational rest, those who are in need of that, sometimes also know that be careful. Sometimes too much recreation only leads to the mind numbness and addiction to itself as well. Sometimes you think that recreational rest is just scrolling through the phone. 
sometimes, no, not necessarily. Sometimes your like, mind is numbed, but you're like, I'm tired, but I can't even sleep because I've been scrolling three hours nonstop. Sometimes you need that mind numbness. I get that. Sometimes you need to party at with 50 people, but when it's too much, you find yourself, I need a vacation from my vacation. So watch out for that. Some of you are very aesthetic rest people, those who cultivate beauty. Oh, well, today's a freezing cold day, all the best. But go also drive to the beach. Uh, somewhere, we're, maybe some of you are forest people, go there, walk. I tend to be more contemplative and aesthetic rest guy, so I love going to places where I can just find a solitude. It's not wrong to do that, cultivate that. Remember God ordained rhythm of life. Take time for intentional inactivity. Know who you are, how God has wired you. And now force, yes, I put what I'm about to say under practical points. You might say, that's not practical at all, but I mean that it's very practical. Up to now, even non-believers who are gathered here, we are so thankful. This is a very practical tip for you. Even you can do that. But now what I'm about to say is really for believers who know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, but if you don't know him, I hope one day you come to know him who gives us rest. Fourth point, this is, I think, actually the most practical. It sounds very audacious, but I think it's also the calling for all believers. Fourth, remember Jesus Christ who said, it is finished. Take time to let that sit down in your sit down to your heart first. Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross saying, do more. He died on the cross for our sin by saying, it is finished. Now, why do I bring this point here that this is actually practical tip, not just the theological tips? Why are you so restless, church? Think about it. Often we are so motivated by fear, our desperate sense of inadequacy. I mean, even as pagan as those people in the world, Madonna once was in, interviewed back in the 90s, what drives you for success? She said, fear of being mediocre. I mean, she said, more successful than any of us in terms of eyes of the world. But it, that's what drives us constantly to do more, to justify ourselves, whether it be a desire for excellence. That's a good thing. But examine heart very carefully. Why you want things to be done well constantly? Sometimes because we are allergic and fearful of failure. And that panic only causes us to be restless. So constantly remember, Jesus Christ cried out on the cross, it is finished. Jesus does not say, now that I died for you, you must prove. Now, in order for you to really believe and have this eternal life, you have to really do more to come to the sacrifice that I've done. Come. No, 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 no. It is finished. So out of that rested heart, that confident heart, you work with joy and gratitude for all that he has done. Now, I think this is extremely practical because a friend of mine once also forwarded me an article written in a Harvard Business Review, and it, it's titled, it really captures my attention. It says, if you are so successful, why are you still working 70 hours a week? And the, that's the article title. I was like, okay, let me read that. So I'm reading the article. It was very interesting, the theme that this author was proposing. If you're an employee or employer, you think the favorite types of employee in the perspective of employer are the one who's confident, who's balanced, who just does his thing, joyous. No, that's not the favorite type of employee by the employer. The article goes on by saying the favorite types of employees by the employer are the insecure overachievers. 
they leveraged on that, capitalized on that, employed deep insecurity. The article, Harvard Business Review says, some leading professional organizations explicitly use this terminology, though not in public. Insecure overachievers are exceptionally capable and fiercely ambitious, yet driven by a profound sense of their own inadequacy. Man, that struck a chord within me when I read that. Why do I want to overwork? Because I'm constantly trying to cover up my inadequacy, fear of being found out. But you know what the gospel tells me? Jim, you are enough. It is finished. Based on not your work, but based on my work, I have died for you. It is finished is the death sentence to the salvation by works. That is the declaration against restless heart. So as the Lord saved us through his works, not our works, we don't work to prove ourselves, but we do what we are called to do because we have been chosen and be redeemed by him. Because it is finished, there is a profound sense of confidence, not motivated by fear, but by gratitude and love. Now, is that the state of your heart, church, today? Today we examine the Psalm 23 together. Are you at rest today? Even in the midst of death valley, can you say, Lord, because you are with me, I am at rest. I'll end my sermon with this. Psalm 23 is actually widely quoted by chaplains uh, who are leading inmates to their execution. This is psalms that a lot of chaplains tend to use when people are in their deathbed. In fact, myself, when I was ministering to those who are about to pass in a week, I visited hospital and reread Psalm 23 together. Even in the midst of death valley, I will fear no evil. And let me introduce you one who experienced deep rest even in the midst of his impending death. Uh, one of my Christian hero name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in the times of World War II, Adolf Hitler time, German pastor, theologian, scholar, who was part of a confessing church as well, who stood up against Hitler. Um, on, uh, but he created a plot, part of a plot that was trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler to stop the war, but it was exposed. So now he got imprisoned. Um, on April 8, 1945, it was day after Easter, Bonhoeffer on the day of Easter, David just preached on Isaiah 53, which talks about the lamb who was slaughtered, the one who cried out, it is finished. And then day after that, Bonhoeffer was executed. And this is the testimony of the one of the prison inmates who witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution. He says, he had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened and two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for all prisoners had come to mean one thing only, the scaffold. We bade him goodbye. He drew me aside. This is the end, he said. For me, beginning of life just like that Bonhoeffer went, fully rested in the presence of God in the midst of Death Valley. And the camp, the camp doctor who was in the concentration camp, he said he witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution. This is what he says about Bonhoeffer. He said a short prayer and then climbed the steps up to the gallows, braved and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. 
in the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer knew, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me to ultimate green pasture. He leads me to the waters of rest. I shall not want. Even in the moment of death, he found deep rest in God. Church, cultivate a discipline of rest and pause for your body, soul, and mind because you can do that in Christ alone who has cried out on the cross for your sin and for your shame, for your insecurity, for your overachieving mentality. He said, it is finished. Come, all who are weary, come to him and find rest in Christ alone. Let me pray for us. God, yes, we know this is what we need in this weary world, in this such an overachieving world. We constantly are forced to do more. But may we find rest in you alone. Help us to remember it is finished. The way we work, the way we do is not out of our deep insecurity, but we work because we know the work is finished. Our confidence is found in that. So cause us to rest. Give us the discipline of rest today. I want that confession, the Lord is my shepherd, to be operational in my life. But, oh Lord, I fall short because I want to say I'm the one who begin, I'm the one who finish. But, oh Lord, it is you. So, God, I lift up all the restless body, restless heart today. Give them the rest that they need today, whether it be physical rest, emotional rest, and spiritual rest. God, I pray that you cause us to lie down. Help us to think out what is our version of waters of rest? What is the green pasture for us? What does that look like in our lives? Help us to find that and exercise that in the presence of you. And God, it is you who grants sleep. It is you who give us rest. So we ask that you give to all of us who are tired. God, we know that you are able. So Lord, we rest in your presence today. In your presence name we pray. Amen.